How should campaigns be paid for? Does unlimited private funding corrupt state politics? Do institutional donors expect anything for their donations? Is the public harmed by legislation or the watering down of that legislation? Are politics polluted by money? In this episode of Democracy Nerd, we explore steps by lawmakers in Oregon and New York to reform campaign finance. In early 2019, after an 18-month investigation, Rob Davis and the Oregonian published a series on the state of campaign finance and the natural environment. The title, Polluted by Money. The premise, despite the fact that Oregon has a reputation of being one of the greenest states in the country, the investigation revealed how corporate cash influences state politics and is undermining that legacy. Oregon is one of the only five states in America that allow no limits on either personal or corporate donations to campaigns. This means that Oregon elections get flooded with money. The numbers are pretty shocking. Despite being the 27th largest state in the country, about in the middle, Oregon ranks in the top six, ranks sixth for total corporate money given to the average lawmaker. Per capita, Oregon ranks number one in corporate money given to lawmakers. Oregon lawmakers ranked first in the amount of funds given by the timber industry, third in how much given by drug companies, fourth in amount given by tobacco companies, the top 10 by chemical, energy, and trucking companies. The investigation detailed a number of examples where decisions were made by elected officials that mapped to, that coincided with the interests of those contributors, but didn't so obviously coincide with the interests of the public. For example, in the early 2000s, PGE, then owned by, under the control of Enron, was found guilty of illegal billing practices, of charging ratepayers for taxes that then PGE didn't pay to the state. The parent company went to the legislature to pass a law allowing those billing practices. So they got to keep the money and keeping the money away from the ratepayers, away from the human beings. In 2017, state regulators planned to test the air around Entec, a battery parts manufacturer in Lebanon, Oregon. The DEQ, the state regulator, wanted a test for cancer-causing agents. The co-founders of Entech had made over $110,000 in political contributions in the last decade. And eight of the lawmakers who got those donations sat on the budget committee for the regulator, for the Department of Environmental Quality. That gang of eight threatened to defund the regulator. And now the air testing around Entech has never happened. As other West Coast states, basically California and Washington, have been using and moving to environmental-friendly clean diesel trucks, dirty diesel trucks continue to be used in Oregon. This has meant Oregon is becoming sort of the dumping ground for the trucks that are no longer usable on I-5 to the north or I-5 to the south, but still usable in Oregon. Over the past 10 years, the Trucking Association gave over $250,000 to winning campaigns in Oregon, including campaigns for the governor and the heads of both of the legislative chambers. The Trucking Association has given 74% more per legislative seat than in Washington state, which does have limits on campaign contributions. In Oregon, clean diesel legislation has yet to pass. So again, the background, no limits in campaign contributions in Oregon. As a result, large financial organizations, big corporations, flood the election system with contributions, with money, and decisions get made that benefit those large corporate contributors, but have very different impacts on the public. Kate Titus, Executive Director, Common Cause Oregon. 
Well, I think the Oregonian series of articles that you were just referring to does that well. It brings up countless examples of where legislators had an opportunity to make good policy decisions that got watered down. Uh, you, You know, my organization, Common Cause, often follows the money, does the research behind the scenes. And without naming names as explicitly as that Oregonian series did, you know, I'll just say I've, I've seen countless times where we've had uh, legislators who were uh, supporting a bill or even the champion for a bill and then uh, backed off somewhere along the line. And then, you know, when you look at the uh, list of don- donations, you realize that they, they somewhere right in that time period, they got a big donation from one of the uh, interests. Campaign finance limits may seem like an obvious solution, but a wrinkle. The Oregon Supreme Court has ruled such limits to violate the state constitution. Judge David Schumann, law professor, University of Oregon. It's quite rare for state Supreme Courts to interpret uh, analogous provisions of the state constitution in some way that is independent of the federal uh, guarantees of, of free speech. Oregon uh, has been doing that, however, since uh, since the uh, the 80s. And in, in most circumstances, they've been doing that to applause from progressives because it, in because they have increased the amount of protection that free that speech has. In the 2019 state legislature, Oregon lawmakers wrestled with a constitutional amendment to allow limits on campaign contributions. Instead of amending the free speech clause in Article 1 of the Oregon Constitution, my fellow democracy nerds, lawmakers considered Article 2 regarding oversight of elections in the state. Oregon State Representative Dan Rayfield. What we would do, I think the prevailing concept right now would be under Article 2, which would be granting language, granting the legislature the authority to regulate uh, this type of um, speech, if you will. Um, So it wouldn't really refine the existing language, but just really grant new authority to the legislature. Judge David Schumann, law professor, University of Oregon. What will happen if the amendment of choice is the one to Article 2, then you have, and unless, unless, I haven't looked at the text of the proposal, unless the text says something like, notwithstanding any other provision of this constitution, blah, 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 you will have a conflict between Article 1, Section 8, and Article 2. Generally, the court will resolve a conflict by saying that the most recent and the most particular will prevail over the older and more general. So that would mean that the amendment to Article 2 takes effect and can't be declared unconstitutional. For the first time, the state Senate had a campaign finance reform committee chaired by Senator Jeff Golden. The committee passed a bill seeking to amend that Article 2 of the state constitution to allow limits on campaign donations. Oregon State Senator Jeff Golden. The major bill that's come out of my campaign finance committee is a constitutional referral that would um, very clear language that the legislature, local governments, or the people through initiative can limit and regulate campaign financing. Some posited that the creation of that campaign finance committee was window dressing, even just an additional hurdle, given the proposal had to go through the rules committee anyhow. 
Some have argued that the very best chance to pass a change in Oregon law is while Democrats have a supermajority. But despite that, there is no guarantee that Senator Golden's bill will, in fact, be passed. Patrick Starnes, Oregon's Independent Party candidate for governor in 2018, has lobbied Republicans and Democrats to pass campaign finance reform. Starnes views Senator Golden's bill, his proposal, as a positive step. Starnes has expressed his disappointment at resistance by leadership in the legislature, including very specifically Democratic leadership. Patrick Starnes, former Independent Party candidate for Oregon governor. The good news is, is that the limits are going to be set after the ballot measure to allow limits in 2020. So we have to pass this ballot measure in 2020 that allows limits. And then the legislature will have to pass those limits. They barely have enough mojo to, to pass the constitutional amendment, let alone get into the, the details of a limit. And, and the Speaker of the House, when I met with her, she said, because um, I kept fighting for her to also create a campaign finance committee similar to the Senate version. And then uh, that window closed, and I said, I get that. But I said, but like the governor, you're committed to campaign finance reform. But her answer was, campaign finance reform is not a priority for her. So that was discouraging. And so that pressure on her needs to happen during the course of this uh, session as well, because we need to have that be equal priority for the governor, the speaker, and the president of the Senate. She just said, you know, housing, uh, the carbon uh, fight, and education, you know, the usual uh, priorities, which are important priorities. And I even countered, I, I give a little pushback, and I said, you know, if we pass campaign finance reform first, we may have an easier go at it with the carbon fight. She, she didn't want to get into an argument like that. Senator Golden's bill passing through his committee, the Campaign Finance Reform Committee, is a first step to passage. But as an amendment to the state constitution, that bill has to be passed by the Rules Committee before a floor vote in the Senate. The Senate Majority Leader Jenny Burdick has to pass that through the Rules Committee. And then it can go to the Senate floor. And then, which means the president needs to send it, the president of the Senate needs to send it to the floor after it passes through the rules committees. There are all these hoops and all these places where bills can be set on the shelf. As Democratic leadership wrestles with whether or not to allow campaign finance reform to pass, Senator Golden is encouraged by another democracy nerd bill and a vote taken earlier in the session. Oregon State Senator Jeff Golden. You know, the, the leaders, the speaker, president, do have a lot of clout in this system. It's true. But I think, you know, I actually was told that uh, this caucus would be very top-down and do just what the top leaders say. I have found that to be different uh, this year. I think uh, my colleagues tell me it's different. You know, I'm a freshman. Uh, you know, one of, the, um, one of the case studies here was a national popular vote uh, measure, which, as you probably know, we passed in the Senate. And it's come up a number of times. I believe the House has passed it three times. Uh, President Courtney in the past has said, we shouldn't make a change like that without a vote of the people, and that's been his position. And he's been criticized in the past for not letting that vote go to the floor in the Senate. Uh, even though he didn't personally support the bill, he let the vote go forward in the Senate because the majority of the caucus wanted that to happen. So it, it seems to me like there's a, some change in the culture.
Messing campaign donation limits addresses one aspect about money in politics that leaves the question of dark money. One of the arguments against campaign contribution limits is that such limits will push contributions into the dark toward unregulated and undisclosed dark money, secret money, independent expenditures. So what if anything can be done about independent expenditures, about that dark money? Judge David Schumann, law professor, University of Oregon. The Oregon Supreme Court has said that that protects against government limitations, not only on campaign contributions, but campaign expenditures as well. So what that means is in Oregon, it is more difficult to pass constitutional uh, statutes that, that, that limit campaign finance. That's why um, the changes, if they're going to come, are going to come by constitutional amendment. Patrick Starnes, former Independent Party candidate for Oregon governor. The second part of the big battle in Salem that I wanted to bring up is the independent expenditures, and which folks call dark money. But the important part that Oregonians can do in the legislature, and they can do it this season, is to bring that dark money out into the sunshine. Because candidates like myself and like when you were running, we had to put everything through Orstar, be completely transparent. Oregon State Representative Dan Rayfield. I think the one of the, the values that is often espoused is trying to find limits that would be attainable for um, everyday Oregonians. Um, the balance with that is... Um, the you know the the lower you set those limits, let's say you set them at fifty dollars, um, then there's a higher incentive for people above those thresholds to pull their money in independent expenditures. So it's really this balance of the transparency uh, ver- and capping versus you know shifting almost everything over to independent expenditures, and that's what we're struggling with right now. Jason Kafori, Portland Forward. In a nutshell, um, we're advocating local municipal areas should be able to create their own limits, just like we did for Portland and Multnomah County over the last couple of years where we created a $500 individual limit. Uh, and that was what the Senate campaign finance reform passed. It gives that ability for local municipal areas to come up with their own limits. And then the question becomes, what is your statewide limit uh, for you know, governor races, things like that, and what are your limits for legislative races? You know, I favor something lower, uh, maybe in the neighborhood of a 500 uh, for uh, a legislative race and a thousand for statewide, uh, there are a, a large group of people that are advocating for federal limits. Um, you know, which you know, five thousand plus uh, per election cycle uh, for statewide races. Uh, I think those are a little high. All we can do, as I've been uh, urging folks down in Salem to think about, which actually has bipartisan support, Republicans and Democrats, is have some sort of a disclosures, you know, transparency piece that. Uh, if, if you have a big independent expenditure, you have to say who you're getting your funding from, and you have to put that in your advertising. I think, you know, that's that. That's not the only way I can think of to stop the the, the dark money from coming in um, is to have them. I have to identify who their contributors are. Oregon State Senator Jeff Golden. If we're going to go down this road, which I think we should, we also need to reform our independent expenditures. And so, what this really looks like is. Um, creating more uh, transparency on who's actually um, paying for these ads. So, for instance, in, say, a 501c4 um, type organization, someone could spend millions of dollars into this entity. Uh, then they can actually or contribute millions of dollars into this entity, and then that entity can then spend those millions of dollars, and no one knows who those individuals are. 
Regardless of whether independent expenditures get addressed, lawmakers do profess some desire to pass some sort of campaign finance reform. Oregon State Senator Jeff Golden. I think everybody in this building is realizing that the public hunger for doing money in politics differently has reached a place where it can't be ignored. Patrick Starnes, former Independent Party candidate for Oregon governor. It seems that everyone wants something to happen, both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, What's funny is the Democrats are worried about the big corporate money, like we saw with Phil Knight, and then the uh, the Republicans are worried about the big union money. But they both agree the common ground is that everyone feels like something has to happen because these House races, which are every two years, are getting upwards towards a million dollars. Advocates have no illusion that a single bill that just campaign finance limits will address all of the concerns of the intersection of capital and democracy. Kate Titus, Executive Director, Common Cause Oregon. It's not necessarily about not having money because you you need it takes money to run a campaign and to get a message out. It, it's how that money works, where it's coming from, and whether it's uh, set up in a way to influence the the positions of our elected officials, whether they're really feeling their allegiance to the constituents they're supposed to represent, or whether they have to focus so highly on uh, donors because fundraising is a big part of the job. One, one reform uh, alone is not enough to solve such a complex process. And even campaign contribution limits, which are essential and a, and a key thing that we need here in Oregon, uh, alone will not be enough. It's not a matter of just getting the money out. You need to make sure that campaigns also then have enough money still to run campaigns, get their message out. So even while you're bringing the ceiling down with limits, you need to raise the floor and amplify the voices of the constituents. Oregon State Representative Dan Rayfield. I know Portland set in, I believe it was $500 per election. Um, and so those are, you know, we're, we're examining those thresholds. Would that apply? Is that a good limit for, um, say, uh, legislative races? What do you do for a statewide race? And then the other component is like for a, a governor's race, um, you know, how do you communicate your message to the millions of voters across Oregon so that they have enough information? Oregon State Senator Jeff Golden. You know, we're liable to have a robust conversation with her and many others about where the limit should be set. There's concern. Um, I tend to come in at low numbers. I think limits should be relatively low. And uh, there's concern with people who I think, you know, progressive people who say if you make them too low, you are going to amplify the power of independent expenditures about which we can do nothing other than making sure they're more transparent and making disclosures clearer about them. And that's in the works, too. And therefore, uh, let's not set the limits too low. That's kind of be the meat of that argument. Kate Titus, Executive Director, Common Cause Oregon. We, we really do need major campaign, uh, a comprehensive campaign finance package. And I, I think there's a possibility that that could go through, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to take uh, enough, the, the, the people working together to show enough demand, and it's going to take our leaders being accountable to that demand.
Oregon isn't the only state looking to pass campaign finance reform in the current legislative session. New York, another blue state with a Democratic supermajority, is arguing about expanding New York City's six-to-one public matching and taking it statewide. Alex Kamada, Senior Policy Advisor, reInvent Albany. So what uh, the Fair Elections Campaign, which is reInvent Albany as part of and consists of 200 different groups, including um, good government organizations, grassroots groups, um, what they're pushing for is really to replicate the New York City public matching system in New York State so that small donors have more of a voice in contributing to campaigns and we think ultimately that impacting policy and also reducing corruption, which has been a big problem in Albany, the state capital. So the commission has been created in law that was created in the budget bill, and now we are at the you know very early stages where the governor, uh, the majority leaders of each house, and the minority leaders um, in New York State are now controlled by Democrats um, for the first time in a decade. And so they will appoint nine members to this commission. Uh, the majority leaders each have uh, two appointees. The governor has two. The minority leaders each have one, and that's for a total of eight. And then the ninth member is chosen by the governor and the two legislative leaders uh, jointly. And in order for the commission to officially convene and do its work, they have to agree on that ninth member. So we're at the stage now where they're selecting the members, but there are these pitfalls in the commission. Uh, one of is choosing this ninth member, which has to be done jointly. If the ninth member is not chosen, if an agreement can't be forged, you could have a situation where the commission never officially convenes and therefore the public financing system is not established. Corruption in New York State is the stuff of legend. In recent years, former New York State Assembly Speaker Sheldon Silver and former Senate Majority Leader Dean Skelos, people who held two of the most powerful positions in state government, were both convicted of corruption. Reinvent Albany is a good government advocacy group. They suggest that public funding of statewide campaigns could reduce corruption. The question is, will it be embraced by current lawmakers? We often uh, see this as we advocate on good government issues in general, and good government issues tend to break between ins and outs, as we call it, people who are in office and those who aren't, and less so along party lines. In a blue state in New York, uh, there are many times where you have Democrats in power who are opposed to these changes that would elevate the voices of, of everyday people. So um, it really is something that breaks more along those who have power and those who don't than party ideology. The reality is many of the rank and file lawmakers are concerned that if they create a public matching system, uh, as one lawmaker told me, that they'd be catering their own funerals. So that's one of the major concerns um, I think there are also just kind of cultural issues with the state legislature in particular, where for decades they have had a condition in which they've raised very large contributions from those who have business before the state. There are fundraisers that occur you know, all, every night of the uh, legislative session, which runs from January to June. And it's very much part of the culture to do the government business during the day that's supposed to be in service of the public and then by night go out and raise money from lobbyists and um, companies and associations that have business before the legislature and it's very much part of the culture there.
Back in Oregon, if the legislature passes something, the question could then go to courts. The makeup of the court, its personnel, its justices, its judges, could shed some light on whether the Supreme Court in Oregon might in fact allow limits on campaign funding. Judge David Schumann, law professor, University of Oregon. I think it has, I think it has moved in something of a progressive direction. Uh, in the last few years, well, for example, the court now has, I mean, the court has seven members, five of them are women. So one of them is African-American. One of them is, uh, is Asian. One of them is gay, uh, although at one point there were two uh, on the court who were gay. So I think that the last couple of governors have made selections that are going to and really have moved the court in what I would consider a more progressive direction. And I think that uh, there were there were judges in my on my court who came came to the court with very uh, well-developed preferences for free speech. And these were these these are folks who were when when you're looking at a provision of the Constitution that says the legislature shall pass no law interfering with the right to speak right and print freely on any subject, whatever, are are gonna take are gonna take a pretty um literal view of of that. But you're not gonna I don't think that you're gonna see any any of the justices now who are gonna gonna reach for an interpretation that conforms with what one might think are their ideological preferences. Seminal federal case is Buckley versus Vallejo, a Supreme Court decision that ruled that limits on campaign spending were unconstitutional, but that allowed for limits on campaign contributions. Buckley versus Vallejo made the argument that money is speech and that freedom of speech is sacred. The government, therefore, has no interest in ensuring campaigns are run evenly. Buckley versus Vallejo is just a difference of opinion at the, at the major premise level. I don't think that spending money is a form of expression. It's a form of purchase. Uh, you get what you pay for. When I go you know, to the local 7-Eleven and buy a Diet Coke, I'm not saying, boy, I, I really think Diet Coke is, is terrific and, and, and everything. I'm saying I'm thirsty. I'd like to buy a Diet Coke. And if the Diet Coke's not there, I'll buy a Diet Pepsi. I mean, it's just it's the whole notion that, that this is a form of self-expression strikes me as as fanciful what you what you have is some people having more free speech rights than than others if you can buy expression and if you can buy it through uh, corporate forms of organization then individuals small groups people who don't have money to organize are drowned out the current system effectively allows some people to have more free speech than other people. Buckley versus Vallejo opened the doors for unlimited campaign spending. In the next episode of Democracy Nerd, we'll examine the Supreme Court case history, the federal history that has resulted in this flood of unfettered funding in our national elections and what might be done and what is being done to fight that private influence on our elections. <laughs> 